0: Hello and welcome to Criterion. Gross out.
1: <laughs> Wait, did I get that right? I think so. Yeah. Is, no, let's try it again.
0: Welcome to Criterion. Chaos reigns. <laughs> D- did that's, I get
1: that right? That's much perfect. better.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Chaos <laughs> reigns. Episode number thirty-one. I'm still working on my wolf voice. Uh, did to. Did I bring a lot of wolf to the table? Yeah, it sounded gravelly. Do, do you think... Uh, I mean, are you going to use that somewhere else? Wolf voice. Uh, I'm trying to wolf think of ways that would come into play. Uh, an American werewolf in Columbia? Yeah. Nice. Um. <laughs> <Yes>, perfect. <laughs> well, I'm Mark Herney. I'm here with um, Wolf Aaron West. Last week, it was <laughs> Old Man Aaron West. This week, it's uh, Wolf Aaron West. You never know what Aaron you're going
1: to get on this show. I love it. I'm a man of many genders, Ages, well, not genders, but uh, one gender, uh, different species, different age, different uh, culture. Yeah, you are you are a beast, and we will get into
0: the beasts a little later in the show. So, yeah, (laughs) this is our gross out (laughs) episode number episode thirty one. But before we kind of talk about that, I wanted to welcome our guests because we have two folks online. This is another four person episode. Uh, we have a repeat guest in Cole from Magic Magic Lantern Podcast, who we just had on for uh, Slacker. Welcome, Cole.
1: Hey, thanks. Hi, everybody. Hey, Cole, man, it's great to have you back so quickly. Yeah. Oh, thanks yeah. for
0: having me. I'm really
2: excited about this episode. Nice.
1: And, and not to not to prop him up too much, but Cole is a gross film aficionado <laughs> slash expert. Uh, yeah, we've been talking for really a, about a month about gross movies and. Um, the guy yeah. knows, knows his stuff, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to Cole. Nice. Yeah, Cole
0: brings the disgusting. I love it. <laughs> no pressure, Cole. No, I Trust me, I do not feel any. I,
2: this
1: is right in my wheelhouse. It's perfect. Pete. Now, Erica, is she in, in the gross-out movies, or is she, she sitting is, on the sidelines? She is, and
2: she is sorry that she could not be here, but she wanted to unofficially nominate for this episode every movie in which you can hear the
1: sound of anyone eating anything.
0: we have some of those, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I know you guys did a a Texas Chainsaw episode and probably a couple others, a couple other horror films. Um, Can you remember any? We did Texas
2: Chainsaw, we did Suspiria, those are the two. Oh, right,
1: that was right after ours, right. Yep. Yeah, that was a great episode. Thanks. Wings
0: of Desire was last week. Of course, not gross, but uh, criterion-worthy, so a little shout-out there. Thank you. Yep. Very nice. And uh, yeah, our second guest is a first-time guest, Dustin Schultz. Welcome, Dustin.
3: Hi, how's everyone doing?
0: Good morning, Dustin. Good morning.
3: Essentially, I'm the, uh, I guess, sacrificial virgin of this episode, for the most part.
0: You gotta have one of those in every gross-out movie.
1: Did we tell you about the mutilation that comes at the end?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Not looking forward to that.
0: Uh, Mutilation via Skype, That's, that's gonna be the next horror movie. We had Unfriended, so that works.
1: Yeah, we have have somebody on a bed for you, we're not going to tell you who, (laughs) covered in blankets later. Uh, Yeah, that'll be the surprise reveal. Yes. (laughs) Nice.
0: So if folks can't tell, uh, this is our gross-out episode. We've been talking about it for quite some time, uh, expecting it to be a little long and a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Lars von Trier's Antichrist, which is in the Criterion Collection, and a bunch of gross-out movies, as we're calling them, which are, some actually are in the collection, a lot of them are not, but we figured, let's step out of our comfort zone, our art house comfort zone, a little bit and talk about these movies, so it'll be a lot of fun.
1: And I'd say that we struck a balance between art house gross-out and, you know, just nihilistic, filthy (laughs) uh, gross-out. In fact, I'd I'd say that probably all of our selections have some sort of artistic merit. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to delve a little deep to find it, but no, I, you, you're, you're right, absolutely. A little deep. Yeah, so and we should mention um, we will get into spoilers for Antichrist, so if you haven't seen Antichrist, you might want to, it'll move forward at least past the intro and uh, into the the films themselves. The gross-out films. We're not going to get specifically into spoilers, though. We will probably talk about some of the gross moments, which is really explaining why it makes this list, why we're talking mm-hmm. about it. So, um, just heads up there.
1: Yes, but some of those gross moments will be spoilerific. Uh, we're not going to hold back. Uh, some, uh, you know, Antichrist, for instance. There's a gross moment that comes at a, a, a late late part of the film, you know, a, you know, a Serbian film, we're probably going to talk about some, some late, um, late scene gross out. A lot of people yeah. might thank us because I don't think a lot of people are clamoring to see a Serbian film, but they're, you know, kind of have a, a morbid or, uh, yeah. Curious uh, about it, you know, yeah. for sure. Just
0: why it, why is it so, uh, it's, <laughs> it's why it's the one that one of the ones that I picked because I've, I've heard so much about it. So, but yeah, no. Well. We'll we'll get into that.
1: You're and welcome we also, for <laughs> spoiling all those.
0: <laughs> we wanted to just mention too. We are updating our clean policy. We're we're clean on iTunes. Uh, we're going to up, actually update that to explicit, uh, just to give us the opportunity to uh, you know go there if we need to, especially with films like this. Um, we're planning to keep it you know more on the professional, less cussing side, but you know it does kind of give us the chance to do
1: that if we we <laughs> feel the need. So we might feel the need. I might feel the need in the <laughs> second part. I, I think probably our 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 filthiness will there might materialize in the second half um, yeah. more than the first. Uh, so, uh, but but going forward because of this, we're going to ditch the clean rating. However, we're going to be responsible. If if we let something slip, mm-hmm. we're not going to you know uh, Bleep it out tr- or something. We're not going to uh, call yeah. in the troops. You know, and and usually you and I are not. Uh, you know, we we try to find better adjectives. Uh, right. So. And yep. We'll continue they, to do so. They're out there. Yeah. This time, the adjectives fit just like a glove. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: But before we get into that, with just a couple things, uh, we of course Dustin is a first-time guest, so we have to cover his Criterion connections. So, Dustin, how did you come to Criterion?
3: Um. So. Mine is very similar to one of the guys from Session who was on their last podcast. Um, I can't tell you the first movie I watched. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was a long time ago, uh, from like an Ants collection or something. Um, but for the Oops. majority of my 28 years of existence, I've been a poor student for the most part and uh, a frugal adult. So, uh, spending a lot of money on uh, Blu-rays or DVDs, you know, in the upper 20s, 30s, forty dollar range, I it uh, was never able to will myself into doing that and then uh and then uh i had an epiphany probably around the time that you started signing people up for the pod or i'm sorry the uh the blogathon last summer mm-hmm. and i was like holy crap i'm an adult and uh i can afford stuff now uh and that is pretty much <laughs> when i got into uh really kind of bogging down and not just collecting criterions and and watching more of them as well because uh, i have a rental store close by that if i don't own it i can just go and rent it real quick and bring it back and watch it here on my uh blu-ray here at home but yeah um my criteria i mean for the most part i've always known the types of films that are in there and the importance and how great they are and i uh just never got around to collecting until recently uh for the most part
1: we are such a great influence, Mark. Oh yes. I
3: mean, if you if this was October, beginning of October of 2015, I would have owned zero Criterions, and now I'm up oh, to wow. like 27 or 28. So, you guys have uh you guys have influenced that a little bit. I, I would say you guys are kind of like the uh you know, the cool kids in school. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, they do drugs. I want to do them like do it like them. You know. And, hey uh, hey now <laughs> we might be after this episode, but <laughs> we might
1: we might need some to get through this episode. Well, yeah. we did see uh, via Skype that uh, Dustin has a wall of film, so um, so yeah, I, I, good job, Dustin. Thank Way you very much. Thank you very keep, much. Keep yeah, physical are, media strong. We're,
0: we're happy to be the Criterion pushers, for sure. It's, <laughs> it's Criterion it's a, it's a, crack.
3: It's addicting. I mean, I, I not only am I buying films that you know I love, like ones that we'll talk about later, like Solo and In the Realm of Senses, but... Um, but I've been doing a lot of blind buys and really you can't go wrong uh, blind buying so far I'm 100% on on films that I've blind bought and absolutely loved.
1: have you bought jellyfish eyes yet? Uh, no (laughs) but when it came
3: out I watched it uh, right before you I think you did the podcast and uh, I'm with you on this one Aaron it is maybe the worst movie I may have ever seen
1: high five more haters we, we need more him. more jellyfish haters i should mention you know uh dustin mentioned a reference to the blogathon uh dustin wrote an article on sallow and uh and but he he went a little further than just sallow he he kind of covered a lot of you know what we're going to talk about today just the gross out um world which is actually why he's perfect for this uh, because he wrote a, a tremendous article and it was funny and uh but but not like well maybe a little insensitively funny <laughs> you have to be but but it was also thoughtful, too, and, and, and Dustin, I think you kind of, in your pursuit, you found that uh, these gross-out episodes were, a, there was a little more uh, below the surface, um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading that. Yeah, it's, it's,
3: it's a lot more than just the disgusting parts that you, you come for the disgusting part and you stay for the art, um, <laughs> which isn't true on all of them, but it's definitely true on Solo for the most part.
1: You come for the disgusting part. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, um, Well, and and also I should say that all of the organizers were were really, we were talking behind the scenes about all the posts. You know, that was a very busy week for us, and uh, yours was one of our favorites. So, Thank you very much.
3: Anytime someone can give me a soapbox to talk about Salo, I uh, I will (laughs) hop up on that soapbox and and start preaching to the world.
1: And and we will put a link in the show notes uh, if anybody wants to read his article. I would recommend it. Nice.
0: Well, thank you, Dustin. Great to hear your your history and, and uh, connection, and glad we can be a positive or negative uh, positive influence on movies, negative influence on your wallet. You're
3: welcome. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you, guys. Thank you very much.
1: But uh, <laughs> well, we do uh, we do turn them onto sales, and you know, so we're saving Dustin money here. That's yeah, good and, I mean, point. Got, Yeah, good I point. got a
3: free tote bag out of the whole thing. I had to spend a hundred dollars, but I got a free tote bag. So <laughs> that's You're, a win it in
0: my. Makes book. all the difference.
1: You're one tote bag richer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, just a couple of the things to mention. We wanted to uh, plug our friend and colleague, David Blakesley, who's been running a Criterion Refle- Reflections blog for a number of years. Uh, we've also talked to him, of course, uh, quite a bit on Criterion Cast, various avenues there. Aaron talking recently with David and Trevor uh, regarding the Oshima set. And uh, there was a post uh, from David recently, actually just this week, that he is. Uh, you say sunsetting his blog to really focus on writing for Criterion Cast and podcasting in
1: those avenues so I wanted to give him a little uh, plug there yeah uh, shout out to Ryan now he's not uh he's not totally ri- riding off into the sunset he's just going you know he had a really ambitious p- project and and I can relate because I I had <laughs> one um but then I I found I kind of like uh, you know um, just hashing it out with you guys this this talking thing yeah yeah it's it's a uh, I don't know why it's uh it's different than the the written word. Uh and it's sort of a new medium too. Um uh, I happen to talk to David twice this week on podcasts. Um one of which uh let me just say watch that Criterion Cast main feed. Hmm. Uh there's going to be something showing up here shortly. But uh yeah, no, David's a great blogger and I I really respect his writing. He uh the thing is he's not quitting per se. He's quitting the the his yearly project, but he's going to i think write some more on the criterion cast uh you know articles for criterion cast maybe some reviews i'm i don't think know if he's really revealed what he's going to do but um it, right I love his writing and i'm I'm really looking forward to wherever he goes uh good friend of the show good friend of us so yeah kudos uh, to david kudos to david <laughs>
0: he always does a great job and we have to tease more to come uh as uh as aaron said on the criterion cast uh podcast network yeah more exclamation point <laughs> <laughs> yeah we kept teasing that there was more podcasts more content after we cut out the news and uh yeah there it's it's coming coming to fruition they, yep. they can't call
1: us liars so and i will say that uh, what's going to show up this week we've really been it's been brewing percolating for maybe what a month or two yeah yeah definitely and I, I think it's gonna. I think people are gonna like it. So. Yeah, for sure.
0: So lastly, before we uh, get into Antichrist, we just wanted to uh, again thank folks. Thank folks for the response to our podcasting episode last week. Uh, it was very meta, of course, and we got a lot of positive comments. There, there's a trend here: the positive comments, Aaron, to our pod, uh, our podcast. I love it. We're down with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and thanks again to J.D. Durand and Brendan Cassidy from In Session Film for uh, joining us again. Recommend folks check them out uh, for their extra film and their new reviews. They are uh, friends of ours, kind of a p- part of this podcasting
1: community that we are a part of. So thanks again to them for coming on. Good friends, great people, uh, and if you didn't pick up on it, J.D. is a big fan of Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot of gushing. <laughs> a lot of bromancing, but I, I loved it. Uh, yeah, know, so I don't know if Cole or Dustin, did you guys get a chance to listen? I did. I really enjoyed that
2: episode, and, and I really enjoyed how sincere J.D. was about all of that.
1: It's refreshing yeah. to hear that
2: kind of thing. I was thinking a lot about how much I really enjoy our community in general when I was listening to him talk about that. How supportive everyone has been since we started this endeavor on our end and how easy and fun it's been to connect with everybody and everybody just lifts each other up. There's no competition. It's all really supportive
1: yeah, yeah and, and by the way mark did I tell you that we want to shut the magic lantern down um, <laughs> we're, we're going for their throats <laughs> nice oh, now it is and and Poor cole boy. you're you're a big part of that too and Dustin, when you start a podcast you will be too oh, so it's,
3: thank you guys thank you no you guys have a great community and I love the idea of, of trying to get you know podcasters on uh rotten tomatoes for the most part I think I listen to you guys yeah. more than I read you know actual critic reviews f- anytime and it's not only just you know you and in session but you know plenty of other podcasts out there that i will tune into every once in a while i know um uh uh the one that cole cole Brax, or um James oh wrong wheel. yeah yeah them too uh oh, they're yeah. on they're on my stitcher list as well so i mean plenty i cool. listen to those more than you know i'll read a review so get you guys on rotten tomatoes and let's 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 up that tomato ranking
0: Let's do I, this.
1: I actually am on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's I haven't written anything uh, for, the, for that since what, 2005. Uh, I'm, I'm a reformed critic. Hmm. <laughs> oh, that, that's when
0: this podcasting is- started. That's interesting, Aaron. Uh, there's a little tie in there. Oh, this, interesting! <laughs> yeah, uh, this is my uh, my my support group here. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Nice. yeah, we're gonna need some support to get through these movies we're talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. we're in, in this together, ways. guys. We're in this together. Yeah, do it. yeah, this is a community. <laughs> hold hold hands. A community of horror. So why don't we uh, get into it? Uh, I m- meant to mention at the beginning that the uh, music we heard at the beginning really is from... It's the ominous music from Antichrist, which you know really sets the stage for what we're talking about here with Antichrist and some of these dark and disturbing, sometimes funny films. Um, so we, we led in with that, and we are going to get into music that isn't so dark and ominous, but is used in a, a bit of an ominous way with the uh, the handle piece to uh, that is at the beginning of Antichrist. We're going to have that lead us in, so we'll take a quick break and come back with Lars von Trier. Welcome back, everyone, to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney, here with Aaron West, and here with Cole and Dustin, we are going to talk about a film in the Criterion Collection before we get grosser, uh, if we can get grosser. Uh, This is spy number 542, Antichrist, from director Lars von Trier, the provocateur. Is that the right word? I don't know. He's he's a little bit... um, he gets a bad rap, I think. I mean, this is a film I'll mention. He, she, and Nick are the, the cast of characters. There's only three characters starring Willem Dafoe, Charlotte Gainsbourg, and Storm Salstrom, I believe it is, uh, starring Who is the Sun. And uh, Lars von Trier, this is per Criterion, he shook up the film world when he premiered Antichrist at 2009's Cannes Film Festival, um, Charlotte Gainsbourg actually won the Best Actress uh, category. She was the winner at uh, Cannes that year. And it's called a graphic psycho-drama. A grief-stricken man and woman retreat to their cabin deep in the woods after the accidental death of their infant son, only to find terror and violence at the hands of nature and ultimately each other. Uh, and, of course, that, uh, that scene with the, the death of their, their son is, uh, of course, early in the film. So um, this, is a, this is a tough one. Um, I, it was interesting to see this come to the Criterion Collection. Lars von Trier had The Element of Crime, Europa. Uh, I think we were the only two at the time, and uh, I think Breaking the Waves has since been added, and that's really the only f- four films that he has here. And this film, I should mention too, because we're going to get into it, this was uh, the first film in what Von Trier titled A Depression Trilogy, followed by Melancholia and Nymphomaniac, his latest film. So, certainly plays into this a bit, but um, you know, we wanted to, we'll probably be a little shorter talking about the review, so we did want to get some impressions, of course, getting in, get into the disgusting and the special features, but... Cole, I'll turn it to you first. Uh, What did you think of Antichrist? I really enjoy this film. Um, I saw it the first time in a
2: festival atmosphere, and so it was even more overwhelming. You know, you're running on no sleep, and you've seen six movies in a row, and then I sit down for this at the end of an evening, and I walked out of that theater completely shell-shocked, it felt like. Since then, getting to go back and watch it in more sedate environments, I found I like it just as much now that I can sit and appreciate the more subtle nuances of it. And there are those things. Um, The things that I really enjoy about it, casting is a real strength, obviously, especially when you just have mainly two people. I love Charlotte Gainsbourg as an actor. I think she is fascinating and completely honest. You look at her and Willem Dafoe together, and they both, they're so beautiful in this uncommon way. They're just so compelling to look at. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Especially at the tree. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the claims of misogyny that have been lodged against the film are somewhat unfounded. I don't see it that way at all. I think that she was the much more dominant force in the film to me. She was the more fierce intellect, I thought. She was the more emotionally complex figure. He tried to exert control, obviously, but I think he completely failed. It was her strength that exposed him as a fraud, it felt like Mm -hmm. to me. Even her narcissism, which they both had plenty of, trumped his narcissism. And that finale... I even think that's up to her. I feel like she sacrificed herself because of where those more uncontrollable feelings she was having took her. I do not think that was up to
1: him. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think she baited him. I could see that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Some great takes. (laughs) Some things I, you know, didn't
1: really even think of, which is why we do this podcast. (laughs) When you screw a, uh, uh, uh what do you call the grill not the grill but the um, grindstone grindstone oh so yeah screw that into somebody's leg uh you're you're asking for something <laughs> yeah Jeez. yeah it's a it's it's
0: a it's a tough film and um yeah we'll, we'll talk some more about that but i you know again want to get some
1: additional impressions thank you cole aaron sure. what did you think of antichrist you know, I'm I'm with Cole. I, I really really like this movie, and mm-hmm. um and and I'll say that I have not been a fan of late von Drier. Uh You know, I like Breaking the Waves. I like Dogville. Uh, I like some of his early work. Uh, really beyond, I, I like the Five Obstructions, which probably not many people have seen, but that's uh, you know I, that's more of an experiment uh, as a director through the uh, you know kind of the Dogma uh, movement. Uh, And I I appreciate uh, a lot of the other Dogma movies which he was a part of, uh, and I don't know if if you guys are familiar with that, but that's really where you try to make it as natural and unobtrusive as possible. Uh, You know, they had certain rules where you know had had to be direct sound, could not be, uh, had to be on location, that sort of thing. Of course, he's broken all those rules. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, I think he's always always breaking the waves was supposed to be a Dogma film, but you know, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, rule breaking there, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, you know, I I don't like Nymphomaniac at all. Mm. I, I just don't think it's uh, very well put together. I, I know some people; it's a very divisive movie, so some people love it, and I respect their opinion. But hmm. and I'd avoided Antichrist uh, because you know I knew about the polarization. I I knew about some of the disgusting aspects. So this was my first time getting into it, and I was extremely taken. Uh, you know. It starts out pretty rough, you know. There's some intense sex. Uh, they're, you know, th- the same kind as uh, *Nymphomaniac*. They have, uh, you know, the the porn actors composited on the characters. But um, but then when uh, they process, the, you know, the tragedy, the way the, the, the psychology, the going to the the, the dream, uh, like woods, uh, you know. Actually, w- once you see her walking in super slow motion through the woods. I mean, I was just riveted, uh, and then you know, the, just how how they use digital effects to just have a little bit of uh, unsettled feelings. Sure, uh, I, I just thought was brilliant. Um, the characters, uh, very deep themes with psychology, which we're probably not going to have much time to delve into. And then, of of course, uh, the the animals, the the three beggars. Uh, I think uh, made made for a very uh provocative aspect to the film and and you know chaos reigns i was in mm. i was hooked uh as for the misogyny and i i think that it is fair actually and i and i think actually i've there in the special features von Trier did mention that he tried to find as much uh, anti-women uh literature to put in the mise-en-scene and and if you look in the cabin there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know anti-women uh aspects. Uh, I I think Von Trier is, I think it's fair to say that he's a little rough on his female characters. And if you ask Nicole Kidman and Bjork uh, on the actresses as well. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, but no, I I think the final product often works and I'm able to forgive that. Uh, and, And yeah, I think Cole, you could read it on the other direction. You could read these as strong female characters and you could say that about breaking the waves with, with Bess. Uh, You might see her as a strong female character, kind of like a Job character. So anyway, uh, that was probably a longer general impression than uh, (laughs) I expected. But uh, yeah, I I really, really was into this film.
0: Nice, nice. Thanks, Aaron. Some some couple things I'll bounce off of in a minute. But uh, Dustin wanted to turn it to you. What uh, your general impressions? What do you think of Antichrist?
3: Um, So mine, I saw it for the first time when I was in college. Similar to same time period, I saw Solo as well. Um, I I hated it in college because I you know I came for like the gore and whatnot, and I just didn't. I guess I didn't appreciate the art um, back then. But now that I'm, I, this is probably I think I saw you know bits and parts of it throughout the years, and this is the second time I, I sat down to fully watch it, and I think I appreciate it a little bit a little bit more now. There's something memorize or you know memorizing about it. Um, I, I'm I was actually. I thought I'd be the only person to come in here and talk about how I didn't find it to be a misogyny film. Um, And I'm glad I don't have the unpopular opinion around here. Um, I I really think it is kind of um, all about him getting in, you know, her way. She's dealing with the suffering of losing a child and he kind of gets in that way and almost corrupts, you know, the process. And, and, you know, I know she's on medication and whatnot and, and there, there are, you know parts of the film where you know she believes she's inherently evil and she was you know doing the the shoe thing um to her own child but for the most part it seems like he's getting kind of in her way of uh, of healing herself and it's it really starts to affect the two of them um but i i don't believe that um you know that it's really a misogynistic film i think it's 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 like kind of her journey to get over the grief and move on with her life. And he's just kind of stopping her from doing that.
1: Hmm. Interesting take.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really, you know, thought of it uh, that way on, on either side. I know Cole had kind of uh, mentioned that piece too. So I'll, I'll mention, you know, my, my general impressions of the film. This was my first Lars von Trier film and this, the film hit me over the head like a ton of bricks um, I, the first time we watched it was part of my bi-weekly, monthly, however we can get together movie group. And, uh, ever since we've, it's kind of been a running joke just because of how, uh, brutal this is and how, you know, we, we always seem to find, um, penis in, uh, the films that, that we watch. Uh, we don't seek it out, but it seems to show up. So, um, I've, but after this movie, I, I really rushed to see, everything else because he is so provocative and uh, we even had a, a marathon um, which is where we, we picked a director out of a hat and um, one of my two picks was Lars von Trier so we ended up delving into some of more of his films um, Aaron you mentioned one of the five obstructions which is just fantastic again kind of a meta film about filmmaking oh good I'm glad um, you glad you've seen it yeah I love yeah. it too yeah, it's a it's a good one. Folks should check it out. We also watched uh, some of the other M's. We hit Manderlay, which is the follow up to Dogville. We watched Melancholia, which is the follow up to this, and we watched uh, Medea, which didn't go over so well. But um, yeah, one of his uh, his earlier
1: films. So that, that one's not friendly to women. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
0: no, not at all.
3: No relation to so. the Tyler Perry movies.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Relation no. to uh, was it Aristophanes or, and uh, Pasolini, I think, did a version. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. I could be so. wrong on Aristophanes. I, I I tend to mix up my Greek uh, poets. Yeah, yeah, I, I know uh,
0: Pasolini definitely did. Haven't seen it yet, but it's available from the BFI. So the interesting thing with this movie is, I you know, I, I delved into Von Trier, actually owned, I think, almost everything, um, and you know, including like watching the kingdom and this movie actually followed a comedy. One of his only comedies in, uh, you know, for for what it is for a comedy in the boss of it all. So you know, I I really I found this as um, kind of his take on depression um he was going through de- well and of course it's called his depression trilogy but he was going through this really trying to come out of a uh, depression from what i understand and he he felt like uh, he mentions this how he could only give like 40 percent to the filmmaking process and he'd kind of go in and out and the the actors would have to really kind of direct themselves um through quite a bit of it so interesting to see how that that comes out but Yeah, I I really... I like this film quite a bit. I think it gets better uh, almost every time you see it because you know what's coming. And um, on the misogyny side, I'm going to side with uh, Dustin and Cole. Overall, uh, I... Again, the first time I saw it, I thought it... I'm like, geez, you know, this felt like a misogynist uh, film. But the more I'm removed from it, but also hearing Von Trier talk about it, um, I'm not there as much because I, I think it really... You know, like the there's the the end scene that really I think speaks to kind of resurrection where they're walking up the hill, and I I think contrary to what she comes mm-hmm. to believe, um, I I don't think he's really you know commenting on the um, you know the supposed uh, evil of, of women. I I think he's in his von Trier kind of way trying to prop them up. If that makes sense. So.
1: You know, I I think you could take it, you could read it in two ways. Uh, yep. I would you agree. could you could see that, and actually the title, Antichrist. You know, many many have argued that you know she is the represents the Antichrist that women are Antichrist. Um, mm. Also, she uh, sort of takes the blame for the child's death, and I and I that that's during the therapy sessions, and I and I think that the audience is you know led to believe that it really is her fault, and it's not just for guilt speaking, and actually mm. Defoe Defoe's character doesn't really. Defend that because you know he, he's he's she's right. It was her neglect. So, but yeah, uh, she. It's a very very uh, tough argument. Um, I actually I wish we had Kristen here to uh, to answer. Yeah, <laughs> the same thing. I might that. have to ask her if she's seen it. Um, but no, I, I I can see that. And as far as the depression goes, yeah, that's one thing. And we'll get to the supplements. But he he really wasn't present, uh, and, and I, I found it quite remarkable how much his cast and crew talked about how they pretty much had to take his vision and he does have a brilliant vision. There's no, yeah. I don't think anybody would, would uh, uh, argue that they had to take his vision and interpret it in their own way. And, uh, and it, yeah, they did a great job. And and maybe because I, because of that, maybe his solid crew uh are more responsible for this being uh, such a high quality movie, at least to me than uh, the ones that I haven't uh, engaged with. So, do you guys like the other Von Trier movies, the late ones?
2: I do. I do, actually. I'm a big fan of his pretty much all the way down the line. I really enjoy Dancer in the Dark and Breaking the Waves, probably this and those two together are my three favorite of his because of the strength of the female characters, I think, is what really draws me to those in particular. But yeah, I'm a big fan. I have been for a long time. What about his, Do you like Nymphomaniac? I did. I didn't like it quite as much as Mm -hmm. I I see as you go through the Depression Trilogy. To me, Mm -hmm. it sort of declines from, um, From from Antichrist, drops down a little bit with Melancholia, drops down a little bit more with Nymphomaniac. But I think they're all definitely worthwhile. I just like this one the most and they seem for me to tail off a little bit as they go.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't like Mandalay that much either. But even even though I don't like them, I respect them. You know, even Nymphomaniac, sure. which I, I really didn't like, you know, I, I still saw that there was a filmmaker and and there were some techniques. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's that's very, very uh, unique and uh and you know, Lars is bringing his creativity." Of course, he'll he'll tell you he's the greatest director of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Although he does say that kind of jokingly at
0: Cannes, but you, you wonder, you know, how uh, jokingly he is saying that. <laughs> he, he said
1: it other times. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I think he was actually referencing his uh, his previous statements at Cannes. I, I could be wrong. Oh. oh and yeah, by the way, it was it, it, it was Euripides that uh, uh, that wrote Medea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aristophanes, I think, wrote, wrote, wrote Lysistrata. So. Nice. Uh, of course, I could be wrong on all those and get lots of hate. <laughs> How about, how
0: about you, Dustin? On other uh, von Trier films?
3: Um, I I'm not as versed in a lot of the other. I haven't seen like Dogville or Mandalay or anything like that. Uh, Dancer in the Dark, I really like. Um, but mm. but Nymphomaniac kind of. I haven't seen uh, Melancholia because it's been in my Netflix queue for maybe as long as I've had Netflix on instant, uh, just <laughs> sitting there. And I'm always like, "Man, do I really like?" Because because you know, you start with Antichrist, and you know it's all part of like you know a loosely connected trilogy of uh, the Depression trilogy. I just don't know if I want to go down that road. And then uh, and then I saw <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a Nymphomaniac, and all five and a half hours of it, and um,
1: <laughs>
3: I feel like it kind of lost me along the way um
1: it's too much it's,
3: it's a it's a lot to take in and yeah. it's and and then he starts you know going off on the diatribes of nature and whatnot and i know it, it all relates back to the the main point but i uh for me I, i'm i'm with you guys I'm, I'm not a big fan of late von trier as much as uh early like dance with the dark is great
1: mm-hmm. now I, Dogville is definitely misogynistic and, and 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 it's also i think uh, another experiment because it's very brechtian in fact it's almost uh, quintessential brechtian and and this one has some brechtian elements as well but not Mm. not quite dogville but uh yeah no i I, that's one i i would definitely recommend if you like uh any von trier is
3: is it is it more that he is it more misogynistic or is it just him putting his main actresses through the ringer in a role that we think it's misogynistic I mean, again, I I haven't seen like Dogville, so, you know, I can't comment, but is it because I mean, he puts game Gainsburg through the ringer for the most part. And I know he put York through the ringer. You know, I've read the stories and and, and Nicole Kidman, the same thing. But I mean, for the most part, they all seem to be I mean, Kidman, I think I read something that she was she still appreciated working with him. You know, he brought Mm -hmm. the best out in her. But is it just is it a misogynistic movie or is it just him putting them through the ringers and demanding the best Mm. performance out of them? that we look at it like that.
1: I think Dogville is misogynistic uh, and I think that's the sentiment. But um and I and I think it's the, it's it's hard to explain. I don't want to go into it if you haven't seen it and if listeners haven't seen it. Uh, what do you what about you, Cole? I, I Do you see that?
2: I see it a little bit. I think I always when I'm looking at these, I err much more on the side of that the characters happen to be women. The things that happen to these characters, Mm. much like, for instance, with Gainsbourg in Antichrist, there is good and evil in the world, and it's perpetrated by men and perpetrated by women. And in this case, she just happens to have taken in all of this through her studies, where she has internalized it and is expressing it as a quality of femininity. But I think it's because of the information that she's trying to process i don't think it's inherent in the in the structure of the film itself in the text of the film itself i, I agree with aaron a little more in dogville but i tend to mm. judge that stuff i'm looking at the the inherent strength of the women and what they are surviving i think and mm-hmm. so to me that plays much more as
1: these are just strong human beings hmm. yeah hey, i'd say that all all of these are pretty much the strongest female performances for each individual. Definitely Gainsbourg, in my opinion, uh, Kidman, uh, well, Bjork <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, Bess, uh, uh, Hil- uh, why am I forgetting Bess's actress? Emily one Watson. My fav- Emily Watson. Yeah. Thank you. One of my favorite actors of all time that I can't remember. Uh, yeah, tremendous performances across the board. He does get, um, and I don't know how much of it's him. you uh, know, in, in this one, he, he wasn't, Present, but uh, they did pretty well. So. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I hadn't really
0: you know thought of it that way, but it it seems like uh, the the text is what it is. I don't know if that's true in all his films, but to talk about that in Antichrist, there wasn't you know the uh, uh, you know, folks going off off text uh, for the most part in this. So I you know I'm, I'm gonna say I still I just don't see I can see how folks would call his him and his films uh, misogynistic if I can get that word out. Um, I just I, even in Dogville, I think what he kind of tends towards, and I can see it in Antichrist too, is um, you know, women dealing with this male-dominated society. Um, I just see that whether it's a small community in Dogville um, or you know going back to the the 1600s that uh, he touches on in um, Antichrist, and uh, also you know like Cole had said, uh, he is trying to really dominate maybe or you know he's is he really trying to help her get through this or is he you know really just exerting control uh he he it is mentioned where she says you know you're not really interested in us he really just seems more interested in his work so they're just uh you know that that disconnect there and um so i I don't know that's kind of where i go with him um, I did want to mention one thing that, as far as influences go, which I think points to what we've been talking about with putting actresses through the ringer. And I, I can certainly be pointed at as um, talking about Stanley Kubrick too much, but uh, von Trier does mention him. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as the chapter divisions go, and his top ten film uh, being Barry Lyndon. And you know, I just wanted to to mention that because you you think of the the influence and like you guys said, putting actresses through the ringer and Kubrick was known for the, the same thing. So, um, you know, just interesting how that, to, I just wanted to point out that uh, um, that influence, I guess.
1: And out of curiosity, I, I, I googled uh, and it looks like it's pretty evenly split whether Trier, Von Trier is a misogynist or not. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, That's again, fair. you know, he's a polarizing figure just in general, you know, personally and professionally. So, yeah, th- yeah. why not? continue that in that direction
0: so and this is our gross out episode so we did want to at least briefly get into some of the the um uh, the scenes because it does i mean i had noted that this movie starts to there's the chaos rain scene of course which caused a number of people to walk out but uh, (laughs) I I noted about 116 into the movie where there's still a half hour left is where it really starts to get nuts uh, Mm -hmm. because there there is wood to wood so to speak Uh, that's where the the violence (laughs) (laughs) good one Mark (laughs) Uh, that's where the the violence really uh, starts to happen so you know we've got the the deer you know with the the (laughs) baby deer yeah. Stillborn, thank you. Um, you know, the fox eating itself, the the wood to wood I mentioned, there's the, the grindstone. Blood. Yeah, the grindstone, the blood coming out of um, poor um, his unit there, the mm-hmm. the clit, oh, the choke, right. the I masturbation. Mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once uh, it gets started, it just really goes. So um, you know, I curious what you guys think of it. I mean, does it does it work? Because I mean, he he didn't pull back, and uh, apparently there were some other kind of disgusting things that were considered to be in there. But uh, what did you think, Cole? I think it definitely works. The hardest scene,
2: obviously, for me to watch is easily her self-inflicted genital mutilation. Uh, But that's the only one that takes me back and churns my stomach a little bit. It could be because my internal bar has been raised so high from consuming so many horror films. All of the rest of it, even the grindstone through the leg, seems Mm. relatively tame compared to when those scissors, those rusty, rusty scissors, snip... Also, I could, it could be because in those other instances of violence prior to that, they cut away where mm-hmm. right. this they, they do not blink. The other stuff, though, that's more disquieting to me is just the emotional rawness of the thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Hmm. Those violent emotional, those turbulent emotional things that they're going through at the end seem more punishing than the physical violence or especially any of the nature aspects i thought the the fox and the deer in particular those were really beautiful and interesting to look at and they didn't feel shocking or unnerving to me mm. the real world implications of the emotional violence that was happening or a lot more disturbing i think the the sex and the nudity especially that never is an issue for me i think of it in terms mm. of in the real world would you rather have a camera unflinchingly pointed at your body with no clothes on or would you rather have that trained squarely on your face as you wept with grief over the death of your child
1: mm.
2: the latter seems much more of an affront and a violation than any nakedness
1: that's mm. a good point yeah. yeah
3: yeah
0: aaron what'd you think
1: well, I I think that's that's a great take by Cole, and I'd say that pretty much the entire film, including the disgusting parts, are rooted in grief, and yeah. and I, I think it all it all stems from there, and and yeah yeah emotionally it's it's difficult as well, but that's part of and and I think uh, von Trier's depression actually, whether he you know even if he wasn't fully all there it definitely inspired a lot of uh, a lot of what i like about this film uh, so sometimes strong emotions in either direction can result in great art uh as far as the uh the the mutilation and the the disgusting things i'm i'm kind of with cole and you know after watching a lot of these movies uh that you know this week <laughs> and previously yeah it's it does seem a little it, it does not bother me as much um and for the the clitoris scene i I just thought she was a blind barber. <laughs> I'm sorry, oopsie, I was okay. saving that one. No, uh, that that one. Well, uh, I did know it was coming, so I. Uh, I yeah, I, so, someone spoiled that, didn't they? Yeah, some asshole man, <laughs> a jerk. Uh, no, I, I knew that was coming, but I, I was actually glad I knew that was coming. So, um, I did know to kind of brace myself, uh, but I, I think even. It would have bought, it would have got to me, uh, you know. That's a pretty tough moment. Um, but the the grindstone, the screw, uh, the animals didn't bother me at all. And in fact, I thought they were, in a way, kind of beautiful. You know, mm. it, it kind of shows life and death, and you know, the Hakuna Matata, <laughs> uh, even the crow too. You know, I, I think uh, was well well done. Uh, the, the three beggars were, were the animals. So you know, no, I I I I think compared to what the films we're going to get into later, this is not as disgusting a film. And I think the disgust disgusting elements do materialize out of the the psychology and, uh, and and some of it may not be reality too there there's there's sure. you wonder if what's a dream what's real and you know the the digital effects kind of the warped scenery which are, love that so some and, you know the the thousand frames per second slow motion yeah they they kind of sometimes it almost appears animated and and I think that's what he's going for so uh, it's yeah so all of that together, not as disgusting as a Serbian film. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Dustin?
3: Um, I mean, you touched on all the art, you know, the, it coming from the emotional standpoint and whatnot. Uh, so I'll just get into the grossness. I mean, for the most part, uh, the clit cutting off was was probably the worst out of everything, um, which, you know, is surprising as a male. Um, you know, I've watched... Uh, even you know the wood on wood contact for the most part and and the blood afterwards uh, i've seen that in so many of the other movies that we're that we're watching here um yeah but i mean sh- sh- i think that scene itself and and for the most part I-, I feel like every gross movie that we've watched involves some type of general mutilation or uh animal violence i feel like you need both of those mm-hmm. in like every one of these gross movies to qualify um but but yeah, I mean, it's it's not as bad as every other movie that we've watched. I think, you know, the clit scene stands above everything else. But that's that's about it.
1: I I will say that as a guy, the wood on wood scene, you know, I, you know, cringeworthy. We, we, we've been there, yeah. <laughs> it's not pleasant. I and I kind of wonder how a female would take the the clit scene. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm wearing eight pairs of underwear today.
3: I, just, <laughs> I I remember it being so much worse. I, when I first saw it between then and now, I just remember it being like he gets it crushed and pulverized, not just the one hit. I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was worse. So, uh, so my memory, you know, anytime, I, I, anytime, I guess I see that happen to a guy, I, I always just think the worst of it and then mm. come back around. It's really not all that bad. Um, but I think, I think it was the, the masturbation scene that happens afterwards that kind of grosses, makes that kind of the gross part of the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to what you guys think about seeing as the psychology is such an important part of it. How much of it is more disturbing because her wound is the one that is self-inflicted versus all of the other violence.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yep. That does make
0: a difference. Yeah, I would agree. She willingly, uh, yeah like like Dustin said it's not you know it's not something that you that you normally see but yeah it's a good point she had to cut herself off so to speak i mean it's you know i <laughs> i know it sounds like a pun but you know she's really <laughs> uh she's been dealing with just such a uh that that sexual uh, tension and her her depression anxiety just coming to bear and she you know can't do anything but you know have sex in the movie so it's yeah, it's it's tough. I, I guess the only thing I I wanted to mention just from the disgusting scenes is just how, um, it's not so disgusting. But the fox scene, uh, I mean, it's gross. But when you get into the chaos rain scene, that's really come into the lexicon. I think you know people refer back to that, and I can't help but coming back to that with even watching and uh, rewatching the cannibal scenes, where you know a lot of. I just wonder if that influenced him, you know, because you, you get into that uh, where you're, you know, you're in the jungle, you see the animals, you see the animal violence, and we'll talk about that later, but um, I think, I just, I have so many movies now, after seeing this movie, I've I've thought of that, you know, when you're in... Um, you know, whatever the scene is, whether you're in nature or, um, some group that's doing something that they, they shouldn't, uh, even, you know, thinking about the witch, you know, with chaos reigns. So definitely been influential for me for future movie viewing.
1: Yeah. I I think I'm going to shelve the animal thing personally. (laughs) We'll come back to that Yep, in about a half hour or so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So you know we've been talking about Antichrist for a while. Why don't we uh, rate this thing? Uh, curious, and w- we want to give it a film rating and a gross-out rating.
1: Actually, Mark, real, real quick, I, one thing I'm curious about: if we get any female listeners to the show, I, I'd be curious to to hear from a female about what they think about the the, the mutilate the female mutilation scene. So uh, if if you want to give us your take, please tweet us. I, I want I'm curious. if... Yeah. If we as men react differently. Sure. And
0: if you you don't want to tweet, send an email, feedback at uh, criterioncloseup.com. We'll take a look. Yeah. Sorry, ratings. (laughs) So, Cole, um, let's let's do – why don't we do a combination of – give us your film rating and your gross-out rating. My film rating, I would probably put this at a solid 7. My gross-out rating,
2: especially relative to all the stuff that we have on the rest of our lists – I would put it mm-hmm. at, at a 6 probably.
0: Nice. Yeah, Aaron, what do you
1: think? You know, you're I, I'm actually kind of surprised your rating was that low, Cole. Uh it sounded like you liked it more. For, um I,
2: For the film, you mean? Yeah. I'm thinking about it it that one's always hard to to go back and forth about. I think about you know, where my 9s and 10s are and I know this is not quite up to that. Mm-hmm. there's enough inconsistencies to keep it from being an eight for me, but definitely a solid seven. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not citizen Kane, right? <laughs> uh, I I, li- I like it more than Cole. Uh, I like it actually quite a bit. I, in fact, I'd say it's probably my, my favorite laundry no, definitely my favorite frontier post dogville. And, uh, yeah, I put a nine on letterbox, but I, it's probably more an eight five, but I really, really like this movie. And I, I watched it three times this week twice once with the commentary all oh, so, right yeah how about gross out aaron oh I, i'm also with cole in fact i'm gonna go a little further in the other direction I, i'd say a five gross out because the and, and we didn't touch on the sexuality and, and that's gonna be something we'll we'll come back to but uh you know like the masturbation scene was very i, I just thought that was very well done uh and yeah. the female that masturbation scene not the male that was different yes yeah uh, <laughs> And uh and the and the sexual uh that that doesn't bother me. I'm like Cole in that department. That you know, sex is sex. Hm. Uh, even nymphomaniac, that didn't bother me, even though there was a lot of it. So I I'm gonna say a five for my gross out rating. All right. Dustin, what do you think?
3: Uh I'll rock a seven for the film rating itself. Um uh which is one of the highest I think I'd ever give a Von Trier movie. Um and then uh and then for Gross Out, uh I'd equivalent uh equivalent it to I would say ejaculating blood and call it a five <laughs> is
1: <laughs> nice. that where the is that what a five means yeah ejaculating I mean you can, blood? See,
3: you can see a doctor about that so uh for the most part, <laughs> oh I see yeah <laughs> okay. so I would say I would say a five uh you, on the you gross can come side. back from that okay yeah, yeah I yeah, mean not... yeah definitely
1: <laughs> do doctors make house calls for ejaculating blood especially in the <laughs> woods
3: especially in the woods where it seems like you park miles away from where your house is I'd hope so
1: maybe the wolf has has, has a doctor degree yeah, one of them right <laughs> <laughs> oh god one of those uh, uh, so,
3: faceless females at the end of the movie has to have some kind of medical oh treatment.
0: yeah a, a cream or something to put exactly. on exactly that. Yeah, well, there was no cream uh, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the film rating, I you know I was thinking seven, and I I bumped it up to a seven and a half, and this morning I put it to an eight because I just it resonates a lot for me, though not and and with each viewing I think more, not completely like Cole said, mm-hmm. but I would agree. But you know I look forward to looking into this every time. Um, I I do think this movie is Trier coming to grips with depression. Obviously, it's his depression trilogy, but. Um, you know, the, you get the I think he's also maybe commenting a bit on filmmaking because you get the chaotic, you know, the handheld camera he's known for. But you also get the the 1000 K camera, uh, you know, frames per second that Aaron talked about. So and I think, you know, even with the music, too, I think he kind of paints a picture of the world and how it sounds and looks maybe to someone who is depressed yes. and you know, dealing with anxiety. So yeah, it's visually and, you know, from the way it, it moves, certainly it's a strong film and I'm going to go higher with a gross out. And the reason I, I even put a 9.5 and that's probably high, but I'm thinking I'm including the opening scene because I think that is one of the toughest scenes to mm-hmm. watch. Um, it's not gross, but just, you know, um in, <laughs> Psychologically, it's so hard to take. When I first watched this, I watched it with someone who really had to cover their eyes because they had a son the same age. Um, so it's it's really tough. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna go there. I, I and I, I think some of the scenes are um, just maybe it's the way they're filmed. I, I really think it's. Uh, really hard and tough to take. But like I think you guys said too, it's easier to take when you know it's coming. So maybe it's a good thing I, I spoiled the, the clit scene for you, Aaron. But. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk You know, briefly again about the, the supplements. Um, there is quite a bit on here. We get cast and director interviews. So we've got a short one about anxiety with, with Von Trier, longer interview with Charlotte Gainsbourg, a little shorter one but with Willem Dafoe, we get the making of Antichrist, which um, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that was my favorite part by far. I love the filmmaking parts, and it gets into everything. Um, you know, testing the uh, the film, uh, the sound and music, the visual style is in there. Production design, uh, the three beggars, the animal handler. I mean, you really get. Uh, and The Evil of Women, so the uh, Heidi Laura was a researcher there. So you get to talk to a lot of the filmmakers in this, not just mm-hmm. Von Trier and the actors, so that's great. And uh, more on Cannes 2009, some clips there, and uh, three trailers and a commentary. So this is a commentary with Von Trier and uh, Murray Smith, who is a, a scholar. So um, again, we'll just go round table, just want to see what you guys think about the, the supplements, Cole.
2: I give it a criterion rating also of seven. Commentary is a big deal for me. I really enjoy Mm -hmm. them. And when you get a director commentary especially, it's such a great opportunity. And I feel like this one was a little weak. It didn't quite take full advantage. He didn't illuminate very much for me in this case. So that knocks it down. I sat there listening to it thinking maybe this is a case of Von Trier being the emperor's new clothes. And I I brushed that aside eventually, but Mm. how little he seemed to contribute to the commentary had me wavering a little bit about my opinion of the film. Mm. Um, The other thing Mm. that really knocked it down for me a a notch or two, I was so damn aggravated at the Cannes press conference when (laughs) Baz Bamikboy, from the Daily Mail, that guy can get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. You write <laughs> an entertainment blog on what is essentially a second-rate tabloid of a paper, and you have the <laughs> temerity to demand that Von Trier justify his art. that was, himself. That was, yeah. in, that was wrong. I was yeah. infuriating. That sort of priggish, self-righteous display was the most
1: gross thing I saw all week, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> The real- and, yeah. and, and also we know that Lars von Trier has anxiety. You could see him him squirming in his chair. He was definitely rattled by that. And mm. uh, I mean, I, I think anybody would, but especially him.
2: Yeah, the real high points, like Mark mentioned, I loved Charlotte Gainsbourg's interview. That long-form interview was fantastic. I think she's just such an interesting person. And Defoe, even though it was shorter, he's just such a charismatic guy and really entertaining. Mm. Um, mm. The other feature that I really loved was the feature about the music and the sound design. Yeah. That was the one that probably made the the greatest impact on me. The links they went to to generate all of these organic sounds, as far as swallowing microphones to record the inside oh, yeah. of their body, and just getting to listen to her sing in that chapel or in oh, that yeah. in that mm. uh, in that church. Oh, that was that was great. It, yeah, she's yeah. got such a stunning voice. I'm watching them put that together
0: was really compelling. I really liked that part. Good stuff. Yeah, it was great. I I, I liked the uh, I, I thought a blowout, of course, the De Palma film uh, when they were talking about the sound
1: design. So mm-hmm. in the collection, mm-hmm. gotta see it.
0: Mm-hmm. Aaron,
1: well, I actually am right with Cole on the sound uh, feature. That was my favorite, and, and, and in fact, you mentioned how great the sound were. I, I think the sound effects and the music. I would give those a ten for this movie. I, mm-hmm. I in fact, I, I think really a lot of the technical elements really make the movie. And and maybe the you know the absence of Von Trier if he, if that hurt it uh, I think a lot of the cast and crew really um, um, and and we saw some, a lot of it in the behind the scenes they really brought their A game but I, I thought it sound especially um, I just love the music love uh, you know even with the disgusting scenes they use sound effects and sound effects are important with uh, disgusting scenes um, I'm gonna disagree with you Cole about the commentary I actually really liked the commentary. But that's because, you know, I well, I, I tend to like uh, uh, scholar commentaries, and I tend to not like uh, director commentaries as much. Mm. I mean, there are some directors I, I do really like. Uh, but this one, with it being a little of both, you know, it, uh, Von Trier couldn't, you know, go down the, hey, I love working with this person, I love working with that person, you know, the Stroke Fest, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and and Murray uh, peppered him with questions that I thought were pretty pretty tough about the uh, the filmmaking, and and I thought he also gave some some scholarly insights as well. So I I, I really enjoyed the and and also revealing the emperor's uh, uh, real clothes, um, showing that von Trier, you know, I, I guess exposing that depression and the absentia – uh, I, I thought it actually was more revealing about the film, and so I, I really liked the uh, the commentary, and I liked uh, the other features as well. I won't belabor the discussion and go into them in detail, but I'll also say my Criterion rating was a nine. I thought mm. this was a very very stacked disc. Nice, Dustin.
3: Um, I I. I loved that sound thing. I think that was the coolest thing I've watched. Because I, when I heard the sounds originally, I just assumed, you know, synthing and, and whatnot. But to, to hear it's all, like, organic almost and, you know, inside, and, inside the body and whatnot. And then, you know, he's got this church thing going and he has her going up by five pitches over 30 seconds. And they play that in the witch scene. I think that's all fantastic. I loved the Gainsbourg, um interview. I wish there was more Defoe interview. Like, he had a 45-minute long one. Um, his were relatively short. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you guys on the commentary. Um, I, I think it's all right. Um, but I, I think I think hands kind of rubbed him the wrong way. I mean, that guy... Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing the story, but that's the first time I saw the video, and they play it twice um, over mm-hmm. the, the, the course of the whole thing. Um, and it reminded me... Um, when i was at the film festival here in philadelphia the closing night film was uh where to invade next the new michael moore movie um and buzz bing bisinger i think it is uh the guy that wrote friday Bissinger. yeah uh the guy that wrote friday night lights i think he has a pulitzer as well um mm-hmm. he confronted michael moore and it started almost like a shouting match but it was like a one-sided shouting match where mm-hmm. buzz wanted him to kind of like almost you know show his sources and kind of explain his point and and try to get it through and it and i loved uh you know von trier's take on it like you're the audience i i I make the movie i let it stand for itself you guys are here you're my guests watch it enjoy Hmm. it if you want to don't enjoy it if you want to um and i think that's i think that was that was huge i i would give it a rating of um uh, i guess seven
1: wow nice I'm in the minority today.
0: <laughs> well, you're not, Aaron, because I'll back you up. <laughs> Thanks. I, I I had a good time just delving into this. I already really mentioned, you know, my favorite parts were with the filmmaking. We I mean, just so much and these really short, you know, five to ten minute pieces about the making of the film. I thought it was just great. I just love, you know, seeing all the pieces that make a film. It's not just the director, but you have to have a group, large group of people, really at the top of their game to come out with something that really works. Um, and I'll, I'll just mention, I did. Love like the commentary a lot too. I think I, I was put off a bit because it seemed like Monsieur had a tough time speaking, especially at first, um, getting the words out, sighing, you know, a lot of ahs and ums. But I, I again, I think it was. Um, I think this this was recorded very soon after the filmmaking, and I think he still was dealing with the anxiety and um, depression, and I, I think that comes out in the commentary in you know, it obviously shows in the filmmaking too. So I would have liked more from his head um, as the, you know, the scholar had kind of tried to pull things out, but I think it was uh, pretty, you know, pretty telling. And he does talk about his influences. He mentions Tarkovsky and the mirror being his favorite um, film. And, you know, some of the scenes where you get um, not the handheld, but, you know, a a few scenes like just the like of a cart uh, that seemed taken straight out of Tarkovsky. So, you know, certainly the, you know, the influence there. So I'm going to get, I went with a 9.5 and really the only reason I didn't give it a 10 was because of the, a little bit of redundancy of the supplements. I think I really got what I wanted and it really, you know, making of antichrist paints almost a complete picture and it has a booklet. So, You know, it's a 2009 film, not one that is transferred from film to, you know, the digital realm. So I thought it was nice that this was it's kind of a not early, but, you know, a really nice looking Blu-ray and package for Criterion. I think they did a great job. So um, I and I'll just as far as the canon goes, we, we decide whether to canon films or not. Um, I'm going to say I would like to canonize a Von Trier film in the collection. I think it would be worthy, except I'd probably go Breaking the Waves. I think that is probably a stronger film overall. Certainly, again, overall, I guess, easier to take, but not quite canon-worthy for me. What do you (laughs) think, Cole? I agree with you exactly, I think.
2: It's just not quite there, and I would choose Breaking the Waves over this one as well. Although, you make an interesting point with the commentary you and Aaron both, I'm going to go back and listen again. And with, from the perspective of what he is unable to say might be more telling mm-hmm. than what actually was said. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And some of that might also be language too. I mean, he, he does speak good English, but, uh, that's true. He, I've, yeah. I've heard him struggle before. Uh, no, no canon for me, even though I really, really adored the film and I it actually surprisingly adored the film and I did like the ratings. I, I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, if we ever do an episode of breaking the waves, spoiler alert, it's there. (laughs) Uh, And, and Dogville, if it ever came to criterion, I would put it there, but no, not this one, but it's close. Dustin.
3: Uh, Better this than nymphomaniac. Um, And, you know, we (laughs) also live in a world where jellyfish eyes is part of the criterion collection. So, uh, you know, could do worse guys. Uh, But no, I, I agree with you guys. Um, You know, I, I wouldn't put this one first off overall or, you know, in the, I'd use other films, but it's a good movie nonetheless.
1: If 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 we had an opposite of a canon, maybe the can, the trash can, Jellyfish Eyes is there. <laughs> <laughs> poor poor Jellyfish Eyes. It just yeah. gets torn to pieces. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, so that's that's Antichrist from Lars von Trier. And uh, so we have a lot of films to talk about on the, the gross-out piece. Um, we're going to just give some short takes on these. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some varying opinions i'm so glad we've got four people to kind of delve into to these so uh, we're going to take a little break we'll come come back uh take a break with uh (laughs) sallow music Mm -hmm. and uh we'll come back with some gross out movies Welcome back, everyone, to Criterion Close Up. This is episode 31, where we've been talking about Lars von Trier's Antichrist, and we are going to get into some gross films. You've been listening to some music from one of the films we're going to talk about, Sallow or The 120 Days of Sodom from 1975. Um, So, we thought with these movies, um, we're going to have fun. There's a lot of movies to talk about. We're going to touch on a lot of different themes why they're gross, what redeeming qualities they have. Um, so you know, strap in. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. There are a lot of um, and again, we mentioned at the top, we may get a little spoilery with some of the gross parts. We're not going to specifically sp- spoil the films if that makes sense. so um, you don't necessarily have to have seen these movies uh, to, to listen.
1: So hey, just FYI, I am gonna spoil a film. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you I'm going to spoil the devils and society. So, I feel like sorry. all of
3: these are old enough that if you haven't already seen them, shame on you. Uh, so mm-hmm. spoiler alert, throw it out the window.
1: And on your little podcast thing, you can press the 22nd, 20 second, 22nd 20 second thing <laughs> uh, to fast forward between press the it a few minutes. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll get beyond it and, and you'll, you'll remain pure. Actually, nobody listens to this that is going to remain pure, but that's another story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think if they are listening to this, they're probably not pure to begin with, but yeah, isn't it something that the music for these is so pleasant? Often, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's so such a ju- juxtaposition. Really, it's it's yeah. funny. So you know, and really, just briefly, what makes a gross out movie? I mean, we were thinking about this early on uh, because we had a number of folks we wanted to talk to here and films we were thinking of, and you know, there, there could be something that is just kind of turns you off, I guess. Uh, whether it's a the religious aspects. Um, to it, whether it's seen as, um, you know, anti-Semitic or some other, um you know, not thinking of the word anti-Christian, um, it, but also, you know, sexual. Obviously, there could be very sexually explicit. Um, there's a, a film that we'll talk about that gets into bestiality, as an example, and could be horrific, um, just, you know, blood, guts, gore. Obviously, with, there's certainly that piece of it. Uh, that I think probably gets into most of these movies in, in some uh aspect and then just pure filth um you know there's certainly an example of that uh early uh late in one of these movies but just absolutely gross some of the things that it covers you may see some um animal cruelty obviously so um, there's a lot that goes into this and we we kind of uh really cast kind of a wide net we thought a little more on the art house side but we are bringing in some of the we are bringing the filth so to speak. So, yeah,
1: and like I said before, I think there's some art in each one, but yeah, but but I, when I think of gross out, I think and what the general I think uh, opinion of gross films is that it exposes some sort of societal taboo. Uh, you know, I I often go back to the sacred and the profane. You know, whether that's religious, sex, uh, violence. You know, there's um these. These films tend to push the envelope, and yes, yeah, some some are less artistic than others, and and there are some that we did not include that I, I know we'll reference later that um, that I think are really more commercial. Sure. But yeah, uh, gross films. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, and we wanted to talk about the the origins of it a bit before we get into it. Uh, we are starting with 1971's The Devils in our discussion, and we're going chronologically. But we thought we'd talk a little bit about the history. Aaron, I'll turn it to you to lead us in there.
1: Sure. I'm I'm going to start it off a little bit, uh, but I I know Cole's going to help me out. But I'm I'm have a book here, uh, Classical Film Violence, uh, by Stephen Prince, and. He's been on a Criterion Disc, I, I'm pretty positive, but I forget which one. My part will be more about the uh, the Hollywood studio system, uh, al- although there are origins before that. Uh, one big one is Unshan and Alou, and then, of course, there's the German Expressionism. Uh, not Maybe not so much gross, but they did explore taboos. Uh, there were very dark films, and, of course, there have been a number of uh, foreign films that have uh, been a little more freewheeling with uh, with indulging on on these taboos but for uh, America let me just uh, re- read this first paragraph from Stephen Prince here violence in our contemporary sense of the term does not exist in the hollywood cinema before the late 1960s signaled by Bonnie and Clyde in 1967 and the inauguration of the code and radio and radi- rating administration scheme For rating film content in 1968, the new film violence that emerged in these years differed from the shootings, beatings, and other mayhem in the films of classical Hollywood because it was far more graphic. This new level of explicitness helped to put motion motion picture violence as an idea and a topic on the nation's agenda and gave it a visibility it had not previously possessed. Prior to the time, violence, quote, did not exist as a thing in itself, perceived as an irreducible feature of cinema, irrespective of considerations such as genre or the dramatic content of a given scene. For example, no sections of Hollywood's production code that deal with what we now call, quote, violence. Instead, the word itself does not even appear in the code or its numerous revisions over the years. So yes, uh, the the, the code was mostly uh, focused on uh, condemning, and, and I'm sure a lot of you know what the Hayes production code is. If not, uh, Google it. Uh, there are a lot of articles online about it. But um, they focused more on, you know, uh, sexuality. They didn't, uh, you know, and moralism. They, they, you know, the, the type of stuff, people not sleeping in the same bed. You know, little, what we would think of as silly things. Uh, as far as violence, mostly they were looking at uh gangster films, Uh, there were horror films, especially the early universals. Uh, There's a a film, uh, The Black Cat, with uh, Karloff and Lugosi that had a a, a flaying scene and uh, a very sadistic flaying scene, flaying scene, I should say, uh, where somebody is flayed. And they actually worked with the code to make it a little less gruesome, uh, but it was still pretty gruesome. Uh, Frankenstein, uh, the original, is seen as pretty tame today. But back then it was pretty uh, shocking, and it uh, but it passed uh, the code quickly. Uh, it did have some some problems later. They did crack down a little bit. Uh, a lot of the the, the really sadistic movies uh, were were I guess given a, a little tougher treatment. But then later, uh, you know, of course there were a lot of war films, uh, especially after World War II. And then the, uh, the the there were concessions for what was quote war as hell in in film. So if they show. Brutality of war, and there are a number of films I could name a, a num- number of them. Uh, those were uh, kind of looked a- looked away from the uh, the code and actually you you know, that that shows where maybe some of this base uh, attractiveness to to gore comes from is maybe you just processing war. Uh, of course, a, a big one is Psycho Hitchcock Psycho. Uh, that you know of course, that was very, very uh, horrific for the time, and it was actually a, a rejected by the code initially but not for the violence, which is uh, more shocking. It it was rejected more for the sexual imagery. And the shower scene, uh, of course, I'm sure you've all seen the shower scene. Uh, There were some slight cuts, but not for what we'd think of. Uh, They were just to maybe remove uh, suspicion of any nudity in the shower. Hmm. So, yeah, now there were some later cuts uh, on a later scene. There was a killing that they reduced the number of stabbings. But, um, but yeah, uh, so the the code did keep gore away but then films like Bonnie and Clyde pushed the boundaries uh, the graduate which we're going to talk about ne- next week it pushed the boundaries and eventually the code broke and then around 68 uh directors had more freedom and a lot of them took a lot of license uh Peck and is a big one you know the wild bunch mm. uh you know he he's had a number of films with a lot of graphic uh graphic elements, and and then Westerns, uh, there was, uh, uh, even though it's uh, Italian, the um, once upon a time in the West had uh, a kid being shot point-blank range, which uh, would not have flo- flown a few years earlier, and then, uh, you know, the godfather, you know, the horse's head, <laughs> that's, uh, you would not have done that a, deca- a decade prior, and then uh, yeah, uh, back to Hitchcock, there was uh, Postcode the movie Frenzy. And I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it, that has a rape-murder scene. And uh, and what's interesting about Hitchcock is he was seen as being uh, stylistically suspenseful, but a lot of that actually had to do with the code. And in fact, Psycho, aside from the shower scene, he, he basically uses suspense. Uh, and of course, this was late Hitchcock, so we don't know if maybe he just became a little grotesque later, but Frenzy does have some stuff that would not have uh, played with the Hayes Code. And you kind of wonder, you know, just based on the, uh, you know, because his were mostly genre films, you kind of wonder if maybe he would have brought some more uh, gruesome ele- elements into his uh, earlier films and uh, rather maybe dial M for murder, maybe, um, and uh, and minimize some of the suspense. Although, not to say he was not a susp- suspenseful director. Uh, that You know, the Muffin, uh, MacGuffin was definitely a part of his style. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the American part. Uh and then, of course, there were foreign films that were making making waves. And then in the 70s, you know, a lot of films that we talk about today are from the 70s. Things went a little uh, bizarre. <laughs> but, Cole, do you want to touch on some of the foreign aspects? Sure,
2: of- sure. I've got a few notes, actually, that um, will even go back to predate some of the things that you mentioned. Um, not necessarily just with foreign films, but with American films as well. The idea of the gross-out film, I think, is a much older idea than we might think of it. I know people, like you mentioned, when the uh, Hayes Code finally, thankfully, died in the late 60s and the MPAA rating system took over, there was a real flowering, but you can go back as far as 1914, for instance, there's a lost one real film called Nell's Eugenic Wedding that... The premise of which is basically a man devours a bar of soap and later vomits wherever he goes. I'm surprised they couldn't stretch that idea out to feature length. It was only a one reeler.
1: <laughs> but
2: um, there's an interesting gross out connection in that, too, because the lead actor in Nell's Eugenic Wedding turned out to be Todd Browning, who directed Freaks later mm-hmm.
1: in 1932
2: oh, and yeah. Dracula as well, other things. Um, Freaks, of course, renowned for its unwholesome shockery. It was really disturbing to people to see a side of life that they didn't often come into contact with. Um, Right after that, I think, is the first... Well, even before that, I should say, you mentioned the violence versus sex thing also. Um, Scarface, Howard Hawks' Scarface from 1932, it was delayed for two years due to censorship because of the violence It turns out, when you go back in retrospect and check that out, there are 28 kills in that, which is an insanely high count, it feels like, for 1932, so it's incredibly violent, and there's also kind of an incest subplot, so it was boundary pushing Mm -hmm. in more than one regard. But on the international scene, you have, in 1933, I think the first prominent film to push those boundaries is called Ecstasy by Gustav Machati, which I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that last name right, but It was uh, a Czech film, and it's the very first theatrically released film in which sexual intercourse is depicted. And they actually show, you know, in in a close-up of her face, a woman achieving orgasmic pleasure, which was extremely groundbreaking. Still is, in fact, in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases, when you think about how men's pleasure is depicted versus women's pleasure. Um, You can jump forward ahead, I guess, a little bit to something in the collection, like Peeping Tom from the uk Mm. and how Mm. all sorts of adjectives were thrown its way it was called nauseating depraved depressing filthy stench filled was one of the reviews stench filled Um, and it was and and that probably influenced uh, frenzy too without a doubt uh and it was a real career setback from which Powell michael powell never really fully recovered i think
1: yeah, it's too bad. You, Great film. Yeah, it
2: is. Uh, you move from there to Italy in 1962, you have Mondo Cane, which is the first, I, th- I think, instance of one of these really lurid travelogues that promised erotic, exotic, trashy thrills. Some were faked and some were manipulated, but I think here's where it really started to pick up, the kind of films that we're looking at today. Without this, I don't think we have a Cannibal Holocaust. I don't think we have a Faces mm. of Death I think it was extremely influential when it comes to that sort of, um, not a portmanteau film, but a collection of vignettes profiling the odd and disgusting from around the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years later, another film that's in the Criterion Collection, we have I Am Curious Yellow, which was a landmark obscenity case. Oh, yeah. Um, viewers that were seeking titillation, I think, were severely disappointed overall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but it did pave the way for that whole porno chic wave of the early 70s with films like Deep Throat and uh, American Hardcore sort of gaining a more mainstream acceptance. And then 72 is when I feel like it really broke wide open. In 72, you've got Last House on the Left, Last Tango mm-hmm. in Paris pink flamingos which is a high watermark of filth brilliant film i love john waters Uh, that whole time you know herschel gordon lewis is making really disgusting low budget films in the american underground you have ilsa shewolf of the ss shortly after that in 1975 um, which is exploitation renditions of nazi atrocities i don't know how much more gross out you get than that Shot on the set of Hogan's Heroes, interestingly enough. I just learned that. Um, Blood-Sucking Freaks a year later in 1976, which features, you know, teeth extraction, which is a huge gross-out element for a lot of people I know, and trepanation, uh, sucking a uh, brain out through a straw. Um, Yum. Yeah. <laughs> in the 90s, you've got Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which was a oh, yeah, monumental oh, yeah. film, I think, in terms of underground grossness. um, then in the 2000s, you see a wave of a couple of things you see that new french extremity that i'm a huge fan of which one of which we're going to talk about later um and you see a lot of unsimulated sex starting to make its way back into uh, into the cinema with brown bunny nine songs short bus things like that that are really taboo shattering i feel like oh, antichrist antichrist although mm-hmm. the, and then the, on the violent end you've got irreversible Mm. and passion of the Christ, which I think the second half of plays essentially like an extended snuff film. It is so gory and over the top. It's, it's hard to watch regardless Mm -hmm. of what you think about the veracity of the story. And then you have things all the way up to current day, like production houses, like toe tag and August underground who are doing nothing but making the most gory and low-budget approximations of snuff films without actually killing someone that you can find. It's it's a long and dubious chain of achievements stretching all the way back to the turn mm. of the century.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I didn't go into pre-code, but uh, there actually were a lot of pre-code films that were pretty gory for, the, for their time, and you mentioned some of them, but I, I thought of uh, The Most Dangerous Game, even though it doesn't show mm. anything, it is about... Killing humans for sport. Uh, Freaks is a good one. There's a lot of uh, a lot of sexuality. Actually, uh, um, there was a uh, It Girl. I think had had some sexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you'd be surprised what was in or, or in those pre-code films. And and you kind of wonder, you know, if it weren't for the Catholic League of Decency and the code, what uh, you know, whether <laughs> we might be talking about something like Caligula from 1950. Yeah, Joseph Breen, on a, on
2: right. Joseph Breen ruined everybody's good time for a long time. Damn that guy
1: <laughs> I don't know who I hate more him or the guy from the uh, the the Daily Mail <laughs> large press Conference. don't get me started uh, yeah and and also the, but Russ Meyer there a lot of people pushed the boundaries you know prior to the the code and as you mentioned Michael Powell so and here we are we have <laughs> a lot of filth as a result yeah it, it's interesting I mean I thank you guys so much
0: for that that history that was great it really sets the the groundwork i think for what we're talking about and th- the other thing it really says is there is an audience for this obviously i mean people would not be making these movies maybe they'd make some of them for themselves but they wouldn't be as popular and i'll I'll just quote cole again because i think it's a great quote they wouldn't put out these high water marks of filth um <laughs> if they you know there wasn't an audience for them so i'm I'm, I'm gonna use that cole that was that was great. okay so. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So why don't we jump into the films? Again, we've got some we want to talk about. We are going chronologically, seem to make sense. Uh, We're not going as far back. These were really uh, personal picks and ones that we wanted to talk about for one reason or or another or we wanted an excuse to catch up with, which is, you know, this is perfect for that. So, Aaron, I'm going to turn it back to you again first. We are going to talk about the Ken Russell film
1: uh, The Devils from 1971 yes and uh and if you notice there's not a lot of time left on the podcast don't worry as it turns out we're splitting this into, into two episodes so we're only going to have uh one more film after this but uh the devils by ken russell uh the devils is really controversial almost because of how controversial it is uh or and and the, the censorship so if you don't know ken russell uh you know he's done uh he's very prolific he's done you know uh, dozens of films uh you might know him off the top of my head Uh, there's women in love there's altered states there is uh uh, valentino Listomania. tommy is a big one the who uh he also did a lot of uh, early bbc documentaries and a lot of those are coming out uh, from the bfi soon on region b and i I pre-ordered those and looking forward to them yeah but yeah he he definitely did uh like to push the boundaries and uh you know the devils is probably the best example of that uh so the devils is about uh well it's it's really a religious uh political uh i guess battle you could say between uh the catholic church and uh, cardinal richelieu and a, a local pr- preacher or priest uh, uh, played by uh, oliver reed who is one of our favorite people as we established on the uh the brood and uh he is uh, has a different take on, I guess, the religion and what uh, you know, the the priesthood should be confined to. Uh, he he is more, uh, we'll say, he's fond of the ladies, <laughs> and hmm. so so a lot of the controversy is more of the religious nature. You know, I, I mentioned the sacred and the profane. You know, th- this is where that really uh, is is addressed head on uh Oliver Reed uh, plays uh Urbain Grandier. Uh, sorry if I got that wrong. But when I watched this, I was surprised by how not really gross it is. Uh there there is uh there are some things that happen as I, as I mentioned, I'm going to uh going to spoil some. Uh there is well, I on my notes I jotted down ball grab, dick strangle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, that's that's Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> Much different. Excuse me, wrong part of my notes. Okay, anyway, my notes. Uh, uh, there was a skeleton with maggots, uh, and, uh, and and there's some comments about the priest, uh, you know, the nuns, uh, Vanessa Redgrave lusts after him, and uh, and I can't remember if she uttered this line of dialogue or not, but she said, somebody said, now there's a man well worth going to hell for, because mm. uh, they, they thought he was a very attractive human being. Uh and uh there's there's a vision of uh, Reed on the cross uh, he and he replaces jesus he comes down uh, from the cross and this is actually in, in the in the fantasy of Redgrave. uh they make out uh, she she licks his his wounds from the uh uh what do they call that the um
3: crucifixion
1: uh, crucifixion yeah rapture i guess and uh and kisses his wounds and yeah that's pretty sacri- sacrilegious uh there is some masturbation. Uh, there's one scene later with uh, nuns screaming and and the nuns become possessed. And, and it, I'm not going to get too much into the plot, but it's kind of a political struggle, and you're not really sure whether they're actually possessed or not. Hmm. But uh, you do see a lot of nuns going bonkers, uh, sacrilegious, taking off their clothes, doing it very not very nun-like things. Um, uh, and but you know it, it still was, and there was nudity, but it still was not. I'd say, quote, gross. So there, there are some some difficult scenes, but my takeaway from this was that it was a brilliant movie, uh, and in fact, I stick by the the fact that it's a brilliant movie. In fact, I'll I'll say right now, this is the best movie we're talking about today. But I um I didn't find it too gross, so I actually approached the uh, the widow of uh, Ken Russell, who I, I talk talked to sometimes. Uh, her name is Lisey Tribble Russell. Uh, great person uh, she's active on social media and uh, and just she loves film uh, in fact she she said uh, that she fell in love with uh, with Russell because of his BBC work uh, so she um, and and I, I don't know what her role is but I think she has a hand in I'm not positive with the uh, the restoration or the um, the estate and uh, and getting his films out there she might have been involved with the the BBC films I'm not sure so I, I, t- I told her <laughs> I didn't think it was that gross And she said, uh, no, it's gross. (laughs) And uh, she told, um, but of course, we haven't seen the full uncut version. Uh, The version I saw was from the BFI, which is the most uh, uncut that's available currently from home video. Uh, Warners, I guess they're worried about some repercussions. They pretty much decided not to publish the film in its uncut version. But they did this one-off uh, arrangement with, uh, with BFI, and they, they allowed one cut. It, I the last uncut version was 2005. This is not that version, but it's as close as we're going to get, it's as close as, as there is out there. And I don't know how long it'll last. So if you really want to see this movie, you might want to uh, get that print or get that disc. But she told me what's uh, what's not in that in that print. And, and before I get there, let me give you an anecdote that she told me. And I, I apologize, this is a little longer, but um, and it's gonna be even longer because she she gave me a lot of great stuff. But um, she said uh, uh, she saw the movie as a kid before she was married uh, to uh, to Russell. I think they married uh, maybe about ten years or maybe longer before his passing. But she saw it as, as a kid, and she was traumatized. Of course, in 1971, it probably carries more weight than it does now. Um, but then later, she she watched it with Ken and uh, Vanessa as an adult, uh, at maybe at some screening, and she said uh, that uh, the audience was horrified, uh, but Ken and Vanessa were just laughing their ass off the ent- entire time, and and she said they were the only people laughing. And uh, you know, of course, to her, she's seen it a couple times, so it's not as uh, not as traumatizing as it is now, but uh, yeah, I, I think Ken Russell was probably playing around a little bit. Anyway, uh, are you ready for me to get into what uh, what's not there? Yeah, let's have yeah. it. Yeah. All right. All right, this is long, I warn you, and I, I know I'm doing a lot of reading today, but uh, <laughs> so here we go. The open, pustulant sores on Madeline's mother, the, the, quote, cupping as a cure, uh, Murray masturbating, uh vanessa masturbating with the burned bone and then she said do you have that version those things are cut from some versions no i don't have that version i I don't think that version's out there and i'm gonna be a little careful with that because i don't want to spoil that but yeah vanessa vanessa redgrave masturbates with a uh a a sacred object well sort of a sacred object uh an object cole knows what i'm talking about yeah she said the censored forever scenes that will never see the light of day. And I, and I think, and I don't, I don't know if she was joking, but I think that the actual Warner Brothers, there's something on the, the prints that says, this film will never see the light of day. So that's how, how serious they are. Uh, but they counterpoint the madness in the nunnery and the peacefulness of Oliver traveling on the road on a horse in nature. Having gotten, gotten permission from his friend the governor to deny the cardinal the right to blast the city walls, he performs a, a personal communion on behalf of this newfound luck and thinking of Madeline. And so the the film keeps on cutting back and forth in a very rhythmic wa- way as the energy builds a catharsis. And there's also an or- orgy where, as you know, the nuns get the effigy of Christ down and two or more simulate sex with it. Now, that's the scene I referenced earlier. They do get the Christ down, but we don't see the in the cut version, we don't see the simulation of sex.
3: Dude, it's actually uh, on on youtube that part oh yeah um if you look up um the devil's rape of christ it's i don't know i don't know if it gets into the simulation of sex but you do see them rubbing up against the the crucifixion um but it, it does play that back and forth of him doing a communion by like a lakeside and then cutting into that scene where they're all going crazy and then back and forth and I think the cut that I saw, it does miss the, the masturbation part that you were re- referring to a couple minutes ago. But the mm-hmm. um, but that Rape of Christ scene fills in, I think, the missing, like, three minutes of the movie that I saw. So you might... Interesting. I don't know, okay. again, I don't well. know if it's complete. There might be parts of that missing, because I know in the description it, it mentions it's kind of like a composite uh, togetherness of the... Um, of the movie itself uh some of the deleted scenes and then like a documentary so it might it might not be the full complete version but it's as complete as you'll get probably anywhere right now
1: interesting yeah well I, it might not be on youtube long and we'll, we'll get to that uh, when we get to another film um yeah yeah i that's uh, yeah. That sounds like what is in the the cut version. I'm sorry, the uncut version that we won't see. So yeah, I wonder if uh, somebody got a copy. It was out on in 2005, and it still does play. Uh, it just won't come out on home video. Mm-hmm. Now another thing, Lisi said is that uh, the details in the Aldous Huxley book are actually worse, and uh, so I, I won't go into those too much. Uh, but the um, there was some uh, there was some cross dressing, which you know is kind of a big deal to some people. Uh there was a sleeping with an alligator for a cure of the plague, uh, and green lipstick is worn. That's in the book. That sounds a little strange. Uh the grossest part in the book she says is when uh is the, the breaking of the leg scene. Uh you know they, they build up to that moment by crashing the statues in the room where he is, and then every blow of each naked torso, what will be next for him, I'm reading here but they did not crush his tex- testicles that was very nice of them <laughs> and then uh they 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 don't even in the movie they don't even show the mallet making contact with his legs uh, and, and that's in the cut and the uncut version and uh she did say that uh Oliver was very naughty and tried to float his uh, latin lines in the chalice and in the ba- baptismal water uh ken stopped him and made him learn things by heart uh <laughs> If you don't know oliver had a, a little history of drinking hmm. a, mm-hmm. tremendous fellow but a tremendous actor and he could bring it you know he probably was drunk on the set but um anyway and and there's uh now well, she did go and go more but i'm not going to go into uh the very end scene so i lied i'm not going to spoil the entire film but does that so my film rating is a nine i love this movie and a nine is a very high rating for me even though i just blathered about antichrist but gross rating, I'd say it'd be a four. You know, mm. it might be like a six, maybe if if I saw the uncut version. But the, the thing is, the sacrilege doesn't really offend me that much, and the masturbation would not offend me either. It's I, in fact, I, I'd say if anything, it's more bold, and uh, and and I'm actually kind of glad they went to that extreme. And and actually, even L- Lisi says that you kind of need that to really get the the full. Uh, it's the full rhythm of the fight between the church and this uh, and this this priest. And what do you think, Cole? I-,
2: I think I like it even better than you, possibly. I was lucky enough wow. to see this I saw the most uncut version I think you can find right now because the Alamo Draft House here did a really great British folk horror series last year, and so I got to see it in 35 millimeter with all this stuff still in there. And right. I give it a 10. It knocked wow. me out. It's it's. It became instantly one of my favorite films. My favorite film discovery of 2015, for sure. And, But I am also like you. I don't see the sacrilege as an issue or any overt sexuality as disturbing. My gross-out rating would be a 2 at most for maybe some of the more violent aspects of his torture. What struck me about it was how it's so much more than shock and blasphemy. Mm -hmm. The really interesting political struggle and the hypocrisy of the church and how much it just rips all that to shreds was far more interesting. And it's done in such a, well, in the the more bizarre sequences, in such a hallucinatory fever dream of a way. It's presented uh, as so out of control in those points, but as such interesting almost procedural when you're dealing with the machinations of of the church and how they are persecuting him for being just an honest if vain and horny noble noble (laughs) noble priest i feel like it was horny (laughs) it was it was very much more to me a story uh, of one man against the system story than anything to do with shock and blasphemy
1: you kind of wonder if some of the controversy might not just be because of these selected scenes, but just the overall impression of the church. It, it's, mm. it does not make the church look good at, in the slightest. No, Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I love it. it. Uh, have you guys seen it? And I, I know you didn't get to it, Mark. I but did. D- I think Dustin's Dustin? seen
3: it. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I saw whatever version I could get at the rental store, um, which I think is missing five or six minutes of tops. And, and three of that or four of that is the, uh, is the rape of Christ scene, and and honestly, that's I I completely agree with you guys. It's a it's a man versus system movie. He's just trying to you know keep this town the same way he was promised, um, and the church is just getting that way. They're. Uh, um, trying to get you know trying to take over the land and, and take it down so this way they don't have to fight off if there's a some kind of civil war i suppose against the catholic church mm-hmm. um again the grossness like the grossest part of that whole movie is is the probably you know that hysteria that happens and, and in which case it's a great movie i i would give the movie itself a 8.5 or 9 but uh the the grossness itself is it's probably the least out of everything especially with everything else that i watched this is the one that i'm just like oh yeah this it was just a regular movie so i i probably give it like a 2 or 3 on the grossness scale and if i was catholic mm-hmm. it might be a little bit higher but i'm not so no problem to me
1: you know i think maybe part of it is because it's 1971 and you know it, it was pretty shocking for the for the time and you know i as Lisey mentioned she was horrified or traumatized when she saw it i would imagine a lot of people were and mm-hmm. uh and maybe who knows? Maybe Warner's—you know—some execs that are aging remember that reaction and are keeping it away from us. But uh, yeah, I, I think probably whatever version you rented is probably out of print now.
3: Yeah, uh, nice. d- definitely is. And and again, like I, I think I told you guys offline, I would buy a completely uncut version of the movie. But but that's I, what I, that's what I, I want to see. But for the most part, even even the cuts that I saw that I was able to find on YouTube, they really aren't that bad.
1: Hmm. You know what I I think an uncut version of this would sell. So, and Criterion is working with Warner's, so hey Criterion, Criterion. if you're listening, make it happen. <laughs> and, uh don't push Warner's too hard, but uh you know, nudge them a little bit.
0: Yeah. HD version too. I mean, the BFI is on the DVD only, so it I figure a, something's got to happen at some point.
1: That was a compromise. They would only I mean, it was released I think in 2011, 12. When Blu-ray 12. was out, yep. but they, they would not allow them to release it anything other than DVD. I, Warner's is very very strict about this film.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, should we move on from the Devils to something in the collection? Let's do it. How about uh, we're going to this is going to be the last movie we are going to talk about in part one of our gross out episode, as uh, Aaron talked about. So we're going to talk about Sallow or the 120 Days of Sodom from 1975. This is a film that is so notoriously brought up when people talk about gross out films and, uh, of course, is associated with the Criterion Collection is a version that went out of print on DVD at one point and fetched quite a pretty penny before it was brought back. But that's all I'm going to say. I want to turn it over to Dustin. This was your, uh, one of your picks for this episode. What do you want to talk about with Salo?
3: Um, so we're going to go from one taboo conversation of religion to the next, uh, politics. (laughs) Um, I, as I mentioned, I, again, I know Aaron's going to include in the show notes and it's, it's, I, I pretty much talked about everything I could when it comes to the blogathon post that I put up there, uh, but spine number seventeen, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini, uh, who is in himself a rebel against, uh, you know, he's a communist, but he's against the fascist regime. And this movie is essentially about um, four people of a powerful fascist regime, regime who uh, kidnap oh, I would say—kidnap nine girls and nine boys uh, and take them and a couple of prostitutes up to a uh, big mansion and uh, do the worst things possible to them. Uh, And it's just a basic story on political uh, corruption, abuse of power, um, and just kind of, I hate to say it, raping a generation of people um, with thoughts and ideas that, you know, I don't think anyone really agreed with or was hoping for. Um, And the movie the movie and it's something that i touched on in the blogathon post it's it was when i was in college i was first looking out for those like midnight type of movies the really disgusting mm-hmm. ones the the uh the ones the ones you see on a list and and solo pops up on every list it's always near the top um and i think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with some of the gross factors and this is much much grosser than um than devils and there's a lot of taboo aspects especially you know, with the children involved, um, uh, with bodily functions that should not be put into certain holes in your body, um, <laughs> and and I think that's this movie is it's for me. I saw it as something that was very disgusting, very gross. And the second time I watched it, I can see the art and and the and the message is trying to put across um, on itself. So for me, it's uh, it's definitely something that this one's a the reputation precedes it um but the art is there mm. as well um so whereas the devil maybe the reputation isn't should not be as it's not as gross as people think it is this one it's it's more gross than it should be uh but it's just an exaggerated way to tell how awful it was in you know the mussolini italian error uh via the thoughts and mind of a uh of a communist
0: yeah, I I would agree, you know, with with really with what you said, Dustin. It it does. It has, you know, quite that um, you know, um, th- thoughts, reputations, the word I was looking for. And it it does. I I think it probably if you, once you can get past it, maybe similar to Antichrist reward repeat viewings. Um I think it has a strong commentary on fasci- fascism and just absolute power um of these these people and what they're doing. Uh, in this this area, uh, I need to revisit it again. But I re- I do remember being not really put off, but just a- amazed at what was shown. I was kind of expecting what was there, except for the circle of shit. Um, when we get into that, munch that, it, that munch circle. It. <laughs> <laughs> It just, um, you know, just goes there, and uh, but yeah, I I think it's it's certainly rich there, and it, if you can see past the grossness, the grossness is there for a reason. Uh, it's really, uh, I think it's a cautionary tale of that absolute power and where fascism uh, could have gone. So certainly, what did you think, Cole? I know you've seen I, it. I really enjoy it. Actually, it's
2: I when I hear people say that they can't, they they've seen it once and that's enough. I don't understand that exactly because there seems to me a lot more in it than just the sideshow nature of, oh, I'm going to check out this really disgusting thing I heard about. The impact of it can't be argued, I don't think. American audiences, specifically uh, American censors as well, might not be able to connect as well, I guess, with the extent of fascism and man's inhumanity to man the same way that europeans could when it was made just 30 years after world war ii atrocity on that level is unfamiliar to us as americans at least mm-hmm. so far anyway um but there's so yeah it's really powerful and i think just like the devils there's so much more to it than the shock value
0: mm. aaron
1: yeah i'm with cole actually i, I, I my first time watching this, I was a little horrified and I did have a little trouble with it. And I think I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I respected it, but it wasn't one I, I was eager to revisit. And, uh, and actually I revisited it with the, uh, the, our friends from Wrong Reel. They did a commentary about it and I watched it with them. Uh, and of course, you know, they, they had fun with it. They, they were serious as far as, uh, showing the art but they also had had fun with the manja manja scene and others. And Mikhail, uh, one of them, uh, one of the co-hosts, uh, cr- uh, criticized the positioning of some of the sexual scenes, like that's not real, that sort of thing. Um, but I've actually seen it three times now, and I'm it's it's not because I you know get off on it in that sense or. <laughs> It's it's more because I just I just think the the political allegory is so strong and and also yeah. the more you see it the less sensitive you are to even the you know I know they were eating chocolate during the manje manje scene <laughs> uh, and I know that they were not actually raping these uh, these men and boys so but the thing is and actually I think the wrong real guys may have said this as well but these fascists you know they had been through the war and they could you know nothing. They'd seen atrocities and they'd committed atrocities to the level that this was the only way they could get off them on their own and this is their their way of taking pleasure and so that's where the the sadistic you know where the real indictment of the the political uh, the fascist realm the the government is you know that's that's what Pasolini is saying that these guys are fucked up and um beyond repair and then and also there is some rebellion there as well there's one scene where Somebody puts their hand up, which I think is one of uh, one of the most powerful scenes in seventies film. So I, I think it's an exceptional movie. And gross out meter, though I mean there are some difficult scenes. Even having seen it three times, I would say like a, maybe a six mm-hmm. on the gross out meter.
0: Yeah, w- what did you think, Dustin? Gross out meter rating?
3: Um, mine's a little bit higher because I, I I believe it to be part of a quote holy trinity uh, trilo- uh, trinity of gross out movies for me um two more that we'll talk about later but uh i put it Mm. up towards an eight i i can't get over the bodily functions that are that are shown in the movie because that's that's just gross to me um and then (laughs) and then the whole ending of the movie where these people just watching what they're doing and and the worst part especially politically is there is no um punishment for these people or these four guys that are kind of doing it they're the whole reason they're doing it is almost as a stag party, uh, because they're going to marry each other's daughters. And that, so they keep the power mm-hmm. within each other. And then towards the end of the movie, they still have the power and they're not relinquishing it. And they're crushing everybody underneath of them. And it's, it, mm-hmm. and it's a very large political message. And I think it's, I think it's gross. I think of all the movies that we're going to talk about, it's not one that I'd recommend anyone really watch. Unless they're kind of like a big history buff, but other than that, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not easy one to get through. So I'm going to put it at an eight. Um, I'm a little bit higher.
1: Should we wrap up part one? I think we've uh, we've gotten a lot of gross gross out into us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I hope folks are you know still have an appetite uh, for more. Let's uh, take a break. Um, we are. This is the end of part one. I should say, and uh, we're going to come back for. Part two will be releasing a little bit later, so hope you'll tune in for that. Uh, again, just want to thank Dustin and Cole and Aaron, of course, for joining us, and uh, but we'll get back into it.